0: At the most basic level, DNA determines who we are, what we look like, the texture of our hair, the color of our eyes, the tone of our skin. DNA reveals relationships and tells the story of our ancestry, your mother's nose, grandfather's eyes, your uncle's smile. In the same way, your DNA forms who you are at a cellular level. This is true for every local congregation as well. You see, Every church, including ACAC, has DNA that directs it, building blocks that make up our identity, distinctives that define what is important to us, our vision, our mission, our values. The DNA of the church is evident in everything we do. Traces of it are left behind in every place we've been, in the smallest, seemingly inconsequential ways. It is replicated as each of us bind together as family, a family of one, serving the north side of Pittsburgh and beyond to change the world. And although we have a beautiful diversity and complexity within our family, the core of who we are, our mission remains the same, to follow Jesus in diverse community so the world will know the good news. to our DNA in just a few moments, but before we do, I I have to say it is so good to be back with you. I have a few thank yous and comments before we get to the word today. First of all, uh, I I want to say thank you for your prayers. So I, I, I guess it was three or four weeks ago, it was right before the weekend in which we honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and celebrate that weekend, my throat became pretty scratchy. And um, in this season of COVID, it became beyond, uh, you know, your, your thoughts and your minds. You become paranoid and do I have COVID and how is this going to work? And as Pastor Ross said that weekend, I called him first and I did sound like Barry White. I mean, I would have made an incredible bass. I think I could have sang for boys to men that weekend um, in the bass part. But nonetheless, um, I called Pastor Rock because it was such a significant weekend And I asked him to uh, step in. There's no one better that could have done that. He did a fantastic job. So I want to say thank you to Pastor Rock and thank you for your prayers. I did end up testing positive for COVID and recovered um, beautifully uh, for the second time. And then the following weekend, Fabian Williams um, brought us a fantastic and transparent and authentic word on the weekend in which we honor the sanctity of life. And so I thank her for doing that. During that week, Pastor Blaine, Pastor Ross, and myself were a part of a conference, a network of pastors within the Alliance, and so I was gone during that, but I was able to catch online last weekend, and I want to thank not only Pastor Joe, but the entire team of our student ministries, children's ministries, and college career, um, and whoever the little boy was that recorded those announcements, I agree with Pastor Ashley, we need to just put him uh, on retainer to do our announcements every weekend. It was fantastic, and so I um, I'm excited. It's it's. I feel like it has been a long time since I've been here. So thank you for your grace and patience with that. And to those who filled the pulpit while I was away. One other comment before we pray. Uh, I'm sure many of you have been aware in the news of the tensions that have risen and that is occupying the country of Ukraine and around those areas. Many of you have asked because you know um, here in Western PA, we have international workers that are near and dear to our heart that are in the Ukraine. And I did want to give you an update that they have um, evacuated and they have made it home safe. And so they are reevaluating things over the next few months. And so as we go to the Lord, I, I would like us to pray and I I would like us to pray for the nation of Ukraine and and the tensions that are there. Um, I want to pray for the people of that country, for the churches that are there, for the international workers that are there that weren't able to evacuate. And then we're going to pray for the word today. So would you join with me in prayer? Father, I thank you for the safety in which you brought to some near and dear friends of ours who have given their life to serve the people in the country of Ukraine. And Father, in thinking that, we pray for the entire nation there, for those surrounding. I pray that you would speak to the hearts of those who have influence in the nation's leaders. You are a God who is in control of nations. You are greater than government and nations. So our trust is in you, but we do pray for peace. We pray for Lord, your children that are there, the churches that are there, the international workers that are there at this moment, may you protect them, may you guide them, may they hear your voice, and may you breathe peace over that nation in the name of Jesus. And now as we look to your word, as we look at the essence of who this church not only has been for its 127-year history, but more importantly, the church that you have called to do certain things, distinctives, essence, values. Lord, as we hear and as we look at your word, may you cement it in our hearts. And may we continue to carry out, again, the errands that you have called us to run. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. So what is DNA? I am not a science person at all. I move more towards history and English, and I don't know how many of you are like that. I know we have a few chemistry and scientists in here, so I'm not gonna dive too deep, too deep. But if we're talking about AC DNA, it's important that we understand what DNA is. So if I could offer a simple definition, DNA is a molecule in our body that contains our unique code, a self-replicating material present in all living organisms. It carries and it reproduces the essence of who we are. John Mars, how did I do on that? Okay, there we go. Now, we see DNA in families. Unique characteristics that distinguish them from other families and other people. It's self-replicating features that are passed down from generation to generation. You know what I'm talking about. Some are physical features. Hair, color of eyes, size of ears and nose, skin color is passed down. It's self-replicating from your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, There are personality traits. Some of you got the sense of humor that your grandfather had or the perfectionism that your grandmother had, the competitiveness. Some of you look at life as a glass half empty. Others look at life as a glass half full. There are giftings that are passed down through DNA and family, things such as athleticism or great thinking minds or creative abilities or musical gifts. Well, DNA is also passed through churches. We see DNA self-replicating characteristics in local congregations. You see, every church has a DNA. Unique elements that distinguish them from other congregations. There are approximately 380,000 congregations in the United States alone. And if you were to spread all of them out and find out everything about them, you would discover that they are 380,000 unique congregations. They each have their own DNA. Let me give you a few examples of some DNA for churches. One is theology. This can vary even with our own domination. We have churches within the alliance, our denomination, that look at theology differently. Now, I mentioned a few weeks ago as I talked about secondary doctrines or minor doctrines or distinctives. We have some churches that put more emphasis on those secondary doctrines or minor doctrines than others. Second is a philosophy of ministry. An approach to how we do ministry. Churches do that differently. Our liturgy, the way in which we do church. Some churches, like ours, emphasize small groups or growth groups. Others emphasize traditional Sunday school. Some are more contemporary in the music. Some are more traditional in their music. Some take communion like we did on the first weekend of every month. Others take it every weekend. For others, it happens periodically. Governance of every church is different. So theology is a DNA of a church. Philosophy of ministry is a DNA. Size can be a DNA of a church. Size of a church can determine how that church functions or operates. This is a significantly large church compared to sizes nationwide for congregations. Some of you have come and you've been a part of smaller churches which you know the dynamics and the expectations In a smaller church, it's a lot easier to connect and and there are positives and negatives and all of that. But size can be a part of a DNA and distinctive of every congregation. And last, it's context or culture. Every church lives in a community with different context. We see that significantly here being in the north side in an urban context here in Pittsburgh. Also, there are social cultures that Bring distinctives to different congregations. Some are more formal, some are more casual, some may be more welcoming, or some may be more exclusive. Do you see the difference? 380,000 churches in the United States, each one uniquely different, having its specific DNA, the church that God has called them to be. Well, it was December of last year, and I scheduled a vision meeting with our elders and with our lead team, a small group of staff here at the church. And on this Saturday morning, we gathered to discuss vision at ACAC. And I asked that group a few questions. I first asked, what are the distinctives of Allegheny Center Alliance Church? What is our DNA? What are the self-replicating characteristics of this church? Things that have been produced and self-replicated in its 127-year history. Spiritually speaking, you could say, I asked, what has God uniquely called this congregation here on the north side of Pittsburgh to be? So before we had this three-hour, four-hour discussion, I laid a couple ground rules. And it's important that as we talk about our DNA that you also understand these few things. First of all, as we talk about DNA of a congregation, specifically ACAC, we have to separate personal preferences from corporate convictions. What do you mean by that? Well, even in that room where we had 40, 45 people, there are some that were passionate about missions some that were passionate about diversity, some that are passionate about prayer, some that are passionate about discipleship, some that are passionate about worship. And we should be excited and passionate about all of those things. But how many understand when we ask the question, what has God uniquely called us to be? We're separating our personal preferences for our corporate convictions. The second thing that we need to understand is that some of these, as we look at our DNA, may be aspirational. Meaning, we're not going to do all of them equally well. There could be some DNA that we were better at maybe 20, 25 years ago than we are today. But we're striving to do all well. And lastly, we need to understand that these are unique to our church family. Our local congregation here at ACAC. Not necessarily the larger body of Christ. Now... Some of these DNA will carry over and overlap. We understand that God's church should have things in it that are sustaining and replicating in every congregation. But there are some that are unique to individual conversa- congregations. Are you with me on this? Praise the Lord, only I raise my hand. Are you with me on this? Amen. All right, you got it. Now, it was important to me that as we identified our DNA, that they must be identified in simple and memorable statements. Those that are a part of our church family, whether you've been here for 30, 40, 50 years, or whether you've been here for two years, whether you are a member or whether you are a regular attender, that when you heard these statements, you should be able to adopt. Your heart should lean in and go, yes, I'm with that. I understand. I agree in that. And you should be able to communicate it. And those that are outside and maybe not yet or not a part of this congregation, someone asking, what is ACAC all about? When they read them or when they saw them, it should be clear and understanding, go, oh, that's who ACAC is. So we spent the next several hours, had a large whiteboard and we were writing and listening. We got in small groups and we prayed and we took a lot of time and talking and praying about what were these DNA? What is the essence of who we are? And for anything to be memorable and anything to be lasting, again, it needed to be short, clear, and they needed to be a few. So after a lot of prayer, after a lot of discussion, after looking a lot of our history at ACAC, I narrowed down that whole conversation and the history and prayer into five simple statements. Five statements that I'm gonna share with you today, this weekend, and that we're gonna look at over the next five weeks as we discover ACAC DNA, the essence of who we are. Here they are ACAC DNA, the essence of who we are. First, we are spirit led. Two, we pursue God's presence and proclaim His truth. Three, We love people where they are. Four, we are a diverse community of faith. And five, we strive to become more like Jesus. So you may have questions. Over the next five weeks, I invite you to be a part of this conversation. I invite you to come back as we open God's word and we discover and we look at these DNA. We're spirit-led. We pursue God's presence and proclaim his truth. We love people where they are. We are a diverse community of faith. And we strive to be more like Jesus. So today we're going to start with the first. The first DNA. And I believe it is the single most important one that we have. And that is we are spirit-led. The DNA, the first DNA of our congregation is that we are a spirit-led church. Now, over the course of the next few minutes as we look at this, and we're going to open God's Word and see what the Apostle Paul has to say about being Spirit-led, I'm going to share with you today and over the next four or five weeks some of the history of ACAC. For some of you, you lived it. I'm going to talk about some of the 50s and 60s and 80s, and some of you are going to go, I remember that. For others of you, it's important because it'll be the first that you've heard about it. And the reason I'm doing this because, again, just like our DNA is self-replicating and passing down through generation through generation, these aren't just things that I picked out of a hat. These are things that I believe and I have seen and our, our congregation has seen through the history of its church and things that God has called us to be and continue in the years ahead. And again, the first is that we are spirit-led. So some history of ACAC beginnings. Allegheny Center Alliance Church was founded in what year? 1894. Boom, 1894. I wish I had a gold star to give you. Absolutely perfect. 1894, it was birthed in the heart of our denomination's founder, A.B. Simpson, of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Now, the first pastor of this congregation was a man by the name of E.D. Whiteside one of the things that I love that my predecessor left in the office when he moved out and I moved in was this book. This book is called E.D. Whiteside, The Praying Man of Pittsburgh. This is the 1929 edition, and I've read this book and some of the history in which I'm going to talk about from this church's first pastor, In this church is, was discovered in here. And E.D. Whiteside experienced a miraculous healing after being prayed for by A.B. Simpson. It was fascinating as I read his testimony, he was in a horse and buggy accident. Can you imagine that? Imagine riding a horse and buggy in this weather. The horse took off, the buggy flipped and he suffered some major injuries. But he went to New York and heard of a man named A.B. Simpson who believed in the power of prayer and healing. And after being prayed for, it wasn't immediate, But in time, God healed him. And Edie Whiteside was called to Pittsburgh, and he ran a rescue mission in the Moorhead building on Grant Street. Now, Edie Whiteside lived right here on the north side. The Giant Eagle that's just a couple blocks from here. Edie Whiteside's home was located where the parking lot is of Giant Eagle, right on Cedar Avenue. And he worked continually with the hurting and the vulnerable in Pittsburgh. In fact this book and it was said about him that he had more friends among the quote unquote bums of pittsburgh than anyone well there was a christian and missionary alliance convention that was coming to carnegie hall that was led by ab simpson and at the time at that convention edie whiteside was voted to be the superintendent of the work of the Pittsburgh branch in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. If you would allow me to read you just a few words from this book about that convention. Suddenly and unexpectedly, these are the words of Edie Whiteside, A.B. Simpson came to Pittsburgh to found a branch of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. It was altogether outside of myself and was like the balm of Gilead to my soul. For I had been graciously helped in my spiritual life already through Brother Simpson and the Alliance. At this convention, which was held in Carnegie Hall, our mission was made the nucleus of an Alliance branch. I was elected to be the superintendent of the branch. And knowing my unfittedness for such a responsibility, I nervously exclaimed, don't make me the superintendent, elect some other man. And I will run errands for him. This outburst was taken as a pleasantry and an attempt at mirth. And the audience laughed. However, I was downright in earnest. And I turned to God and I honestly and urgently said, "O oh Lord, I appoint you as superintendent of the Pittsburgh branch of the Alliance. And I will run errands for you. I had a wonderful relief in my soul that moment. And I have ever since. God is still the superintendent in fact and reality, for I am recognizing him as such to this day. Bless his holy name. Edie Whiteside was committed to run errands for the Lord. He said, God, you are superintendent, and I will run your errands. For 127 years, ACAC AC has been committed. To running errands for the Lord, and we still are. So, what does it mean when we say we're running errands for the Lord? Or what do we mean when we say we are spirit led? We're a spirit led church. It simply means we are choosing to do the things God wants us to do. We are willingly and surrendering our desires, our aspirations, and all of our dreams for the things that God wants. We are living out the Your Kingdom come, Your will be done, not ours. In every area of this local congregation known as ACAC, we seek to do what Jesus would have us do. So, if I could define that in one sentence or make it the big idea for this message today, it would be this Spirit led means we are people dedicated to doing God's will and discerning this through prayer. In God's word, his word. Now this should be true individually for every Christ follower. As we talk about being spirit led, that should be true for every one of us individually. If you place your faith in Christ. However, this should also be true for us corporately, for every congregation. The psalmist understands this in the Old Testament. David writes in Psalms, he said, teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. In his letter to the church in Rome, the apostle Paul makes an incredibly bold statement about the significance of being led by the spirit when he writes, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. Paul associates being led by the spirit being identified as a child of God. Meaning if you are called a child of God, You will be spirit-led. He writes more about being led in the spirit in this letter to the Galatians, which is going to be our text for today. Paul was writing this letter to the church in Galatia, a church who had been negatively influenced and who had veered off mission theologically. They had forgotten the essence of who they were and the very essence of the gospel. While his words are certainly applicable for every individual then and us today, it's also applicable for us as a congregation, as a whole, as a community of faith for this congregation. So let's look at these words in Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Be spirit led. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces, Paul says, are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Paul says there's two forces in every believer and it is not a stretch to say there are two forces in every local congregation that are fighting each other. Just as within every individual, even in the church, there are two forces against each other the force of the flesh and the force of the spirit. And Paul says, We will crave what the flesh wants, meaning that a spirit led church does not come naturally. And it will take great intentionality to be (coughs) spirit-led. A church that is not spirit-led is what? It's flesh-led. You could say it's human-led. So if a congregation is not spirit-led, if we're not being led by the spirit, then we are being led by the flesh. So that can ask the question, well, what does a human-led or what does a flesh-led church look like? I'm glad you asked. I want to give you a few examples. A flesh-led, a human-led church becomes inward focused. A congregation, a church that is human and flesh-led, will turn its eyes and ears on itself. It will turn into a country club for its members, not a hospital for its community. A congregation that is human-led or flesh-led will rely on man-made Strategies, not the spirit now let me clarify and say this we just got back I told you from a network 900 gathering of other pastors where we shared best practices and stories and heard what other local congregations are doing and how they're being effective I am not saying we don't learn that we don't grow that we don't gain knowledge and understanding but we do not rely on the flesh and the mind and understanding we rely on the spirit But a flesh-led, a human-led church will rely solely on man-made strategies. A flesh-led or human-led church becomes apathetic. It becomes cold-hearted to the poor, to the vulnerable, to those that are oppressed and facing injustice. A flesh- or or human-led church becomes legalistic. It sets rules on what discipleship and spirituality looks like it becomes legalistic in nature a flesh-led human-led church produces tribalism it's not one or unified it can't stand in its own way when people think differently or look differently there's not much diversity there and a flesh-led church produces consumerism Meaning its members come because their needs are met. The the music is to their liking. The temperature is to their liking. The coffee is to their liking. The preaching is to their liking. A church that is led by the flesh, Paul says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, whether that's individually, or whether that's as a congregation being flesh or human-led, Paul says the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarrying, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yes, Paul is speaking for us individually, but he's also speaking for us as a family. If there are churches If the day comes when we're facing dissension and division, selfish ambition, outburst of anger, the question has has to be, have we moved from being a spirit-led church to a flesh-led church? Because that's the fruit of it. However, if your church is spirit-led, here are some of its signs. A spirit-led church is a praying church and one that holds a high value of Scripture. You see, how do you discern, and, and maybe at some point later this year, I, I really want to preach a sermon on what it means to hear the voice of the Lord and to be spirit-led. But, but we can't go into that today. But a, a spirit-led church, the only way you determine what are the errands that God wants you to run is if you are a person, a church of prayer, and a church of God's word. Because that is how God speaks, through his word and through prayer. This is how we discern the errands that God would have us to run. So another example of a spirit-led church is a spirit-led church experiences the power of God. There are plenty of examples. You can go through the New Testament. I could talk about the church in Antioch. I could talk about the church that was birthed, the first church in Acts chapter 2. On and on and on, they experienced the power of God. And if the day comes when we do not experience God's power here at ACAC, we have to ask ourselves, have we moved from being a spirit-led church to a flesh-led church? I am thankful, and here's where i want to give you a little history, some examples of movements of the power of God in this congregation through the years. In the late 1950s and early 60s, I won't ask you if you remember some of this. Some of you probably do. There was a movement to revitalize the north side. And urban planners pushed to revitalize the north side by what they described as creating a new village within the city known as Allegheny Center. And in this movement by these urban developers, many churches sold their sanctuaries, sold their buildings, so that this Allegheny Center, this new village within the city, could be built. At the time, this congregation, our, our footprint here on the north side was a lot smaller. Um, Pastor Blaine really helped me with this. I believe that the only property we owned as a congregation was the Whiteside building and a small portion of where the current hub is being constructed. This, this sanctuary, we, we did not own the property here. And so in that, there was pressure from this congregation to sell. There was also a movement... To have us forfeit our rights to this property. And the leaders of this congregation at that time prayed for the Spirit's leading. And as Blaine put, when someone say you can't fight City Hall. Well you can't if you don't have the power of God behind you. But God moved on this congregation. And these urban developers finally relented, and we were allowed to remain. Because as this congregation prayed, they felt that God said we were to stay and be here in the community on the north side. And the power of God happened when only something God could do. The moment came where the, people that, the very people that were pushing us out offered us this very property that we are in right now. And so the footprint of this church went from being pushed out and closed to expanding. That is only by the power of God. Another sign of a spirit-led church, it experiences the power of God, but it also becomes outwardly focused. I told you a flesh-led church looks inward, but a spirit-led church is focused on those outside of its walls move a couple decades later in the 1980s, the early 1980s. This congregation at that time was all white. And the Spirit of God moved to convict its pastor and its congregation to repent of its racial insensitivities and its racist attitudes. And they did. They repented. And they began being led by the Spirit to make positive change. You see, the congregation at that time was willing to send missionaries and send resources to the other side of the earth to reach people of color. But as its own community, it looked completely different. And they repented, and the Spirit of God moved. And the diversity that we see today is the fruit of the Spirit of God leading that congregation to repent of its ways. Only the power of God can do that. Another example is that a spirit-led church takes faith-filled risk. I'll give you three quick examples. Again, in the 1990s, this Whiteside building that we own at that time, we still did then, and the church was growing and there were plans that we needed more ministry space. And so they had paid to have architectural drawings done. And the plan was to tear down the Whiteside building and rebuild a building that would have been much more conducive to the size and the needs of this congregation. It's an old building, didn't have handicap access. Um, there was a lot of work that needed to be done. Well, lo and behold, there was a small, there was a few, but a very vocal group in our community that were opposing it. A group of people that did not believe what we believe. And they they were completely against us tearing that down because of the historic nature of that building. What did this congregation do? Leaders of the congregation prayed. And the spirit of God spoke to them and said, out of love for the community, you're not to tear the building down. And so they made a decision that went against all financial sense, that went against common sense, and they remained. And this church gained respect, and connection with its community. Decades later, in the, in the early 2000s, some of you may remember this. There was a local nuisance bar on East Ohio Street called Rebel's Bar. How many of you attended that? No, I'm, don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> I tried to catch some of you. Going against all common sense, the leadership, the Spirit of God moved, and as they prayed, in an effort to help the community, say, why don't we buy that bar close it and sell it back to the community. Now you tell me what congregation buys a bar? But the Spirit of God spoke and that's what they did. One last one, a little more closer to home, probably five, six years ago. This congregation voted and decided to build a hub, knowing its pastor of 36 years was retiring and there was going to be a change of leadership and succession. I've been around long enough to know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But that's what the Spirit of God said, and that's what this congregation did. A congregation that is Spirit-led takes faith-filled risks. Last, a congregation that is Spirit-led demonstrates oneness and unity amid diversity. The last two years have shown us the polarizing culture of politics of how to address racial injustice, and even COVID. And I don't think it's that far to say that the fact that we are still here today is a sign of God's love. And the fact that we strived to be spirit-led through all of that. But with that, I'm also reminded of this last sign of a spirit-led church, and that's this, that a spirit-led church often experiences persecution and difficulty. The Bible says that the spirit of God led Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted. You see, just because you're spirit led does not mean you don't face difficulty. The exact opposite. So when things get tough and when things stretch us, it's not a certainty. But it could be an indicator that we are following the voice of the spirit church that is led by the Spirit will produce this kind of fruit, Paul says. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to end this message by emphasizing Paul's final statements in this section, this chapter 5, where Paul's talking about walking and living by the Spirit. He says these words, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Individually and as a congregation, in every area of this church, we need to be Spirit-led. I would not normally reference the version, uh, the paraphrase of the Bible called the message. But this verse paraphrased by Eugene Peterson is, is pretty phenomenal. In the message, that version, that same verse says this since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, listen to this, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our life. Go back one slide. We are spirit led. It's a simple statement. You're gonna see these DNA on the walls. When we get the hub built, we're gonna put them in there. It's gonna be on our website. I want us to be, I want this to be so ingrained in who we are that we never forget. But here's the thing: it can't be just held onto as an idea in our heads. It can't just be a sentiment in our hearts. It just can't be a, a cool, good-looking graphic that we put on the wall or in a card or on a t-shirt or on our website. It has to be authentic and real and lived out. We have to choose, as Eugene Peterson said, to live a life by the Spirit. ACAC, we always have to choose to be Spirit-led. This cannot be an idea or a sediment. This cannot be simply a slogan or a catchphrase. So as the eighth pastor in this church's history of this beautiful congregation, I publicly proclaim today as E.D. Whiteside did in 1894, that God is still the superintendent of this work, and we are still running his errands. Amen. Hear me on this. While all of us, including me, have roles and responsibility in leadership within our congregation, I want to be perfectly clear. This is not a pastor-centered congregation church. This is not a pastor-centered church. This is not an elder-centered church. This is not a staff-centered church. This is not a congregation-centered church. This is a Jesus-centered church. And we are spirit-led. We are people dedicated to doing God's will and discerning this through prayer and his word. I want to close us in prayer, and I'm going to ask you a question, but before you respond, just because I asked it, I really want you to think about this. I'm going to ask those of you that are here, if you're visiting us, if you're a guest from out of town, um, if you're not a part of this congregation, uh, you don't need to respond to this. But for those of you who call ACAC your home church, whether you are a member, whether you are a regular tender, whether you've been here for 50 years, or whether you've been here for five weeks, each of these weeks as we go through these DNAs, when we get to the end, before we pray, I'm going to ask that if you will commit to be a part of a congregation that is spirit-led, I want you to stand as a public commitment, not to me, but to God. So if you are a part of this local congregation, and you will acknowledge that for generations this church has been a spirit-led, it's a self-replicating characteristic in our DNA. This is something just because we've always been this way doesn't mean that we will continue that way. We have to be intentional about it. So if you will stand before God and say, I'll be a part, and make sure that this church always remains spirit-led, would you stand today? Father, you see the hearts of those standing. First of all, I thank you. Some standing remember the 50s and 60s. (laughs) Some probably were a part of that decision-making process. Some remember, Lord, even the debates over buying Rebels Bar. Some remember the 80s when this congregation repented of its ways. I thank you, Lord, for, hmm, thank you for their willingness to be spirit-led that has brought us to this point. I thank you for the new people that you have brought in. But Lord, we stand committed to be a spirit-led church, not a human or flesh-led church. Your word says that there will constantly be a battle within us. That means that it's going to filter out in our staff meetings. It's going to filter out in our congregational meetings. It's going to filter out in our elders and ops board, all of that. We're going to wrestle through what is flesh and what is spirit. I pray you would give us discernment. And I pray that you would give us boldness and courage. Just as in times past, we've made decisions that were against common sense, but they were obviously spirit-led. Would you do that in us? And I pray for the next generation, the next pastor, the next board, and the years ahead that we would never forget we are a spirit-led congregation. Amen. You may be seated.